so we land on the lake, put the gear down in the water, go up the boat ramp. We get up the boat ramp. This guy that just wanted to be, you know, um, you know, Mr. Security Officer for the boat ramp said, hey, you can't park this plane here. And I said, give me a second. I folded the wings. I put the airplane in a parking spot. <laughs> and <laughs> he very disgruntledly said, okay, but you're going to have to go get a parking pass. G'day and welcome everyone to episode number 68 of On The Step with That Mallard Guy. I'm your host, Dan Bolton. On The Step is all about float planes and flying boats. To get in contact with me, my email is dan at thatmallardguy.com or you can follow me on Instagram and send me a message at thatmallardguy. I have absolutely loved getting back into the podcast over the last few months, folks. I love hearing seaplane-related stories and I hope you are all loving them as well. Now, I am going to struggle, unfortunately, to get new episodes out in the future over the next couple of months as our charter season ramps up here in Darwin on the Mallards. We are currently flying to coastal resorts. We're flying to fishing boats for fishing charters, to an island retreat just north of us, and even a couple of school teacher runs for the end of term. Don't forget the safaris we do later on in the year through the Kimberley for overnight expeditions on the Mallard. And also the seaplane training that I'm doing in the Buccaneer. This time of the year is just very busy for me, that's for sure. But I'll still try and keep new episodes of On The Step coming as soon as I can get them to you folks. Because as I said, I love hearing them. I love talking to people about seaplanes. And I love sharing them to you all out there. Now if you're new to the show, welcome. Please don't forget to leave me an Apple Podcast 5-star written review. Or if you're on Spotify, scroll to the top of the page and rate the show up there, five stars of course. I know there is one of you listening out there who still hasn't done this. So if that's you, I'm watching you, okay? That's right. Just over your right shoulder. Yes, creepy, I know. All right, enough of the fun and games. Uh, It's time to get into another fun episode, folks, with today's guest, Gary James Knight. Gary is part of the sales team at Icon Aircraft, selling the beautiful A5 two-seat flying boat all across America, and he's having an absolute blast while doing so. Let's call over the waiter. As we wipe the last of the marinara sauce from the corner of our lips, we'll pay wave the Amex before leaving the restaurant. Walking out to the car park, we'll push through the masses of people to get to our vehicle, the ever-attractive Icon A5. Folding out the wings, starting the engine, and taxiing down the ramp, we'll add full power, getting the jet ski-like toy up and on the step. Right engine is turning. 12% fuel. A lot. Alrighty, welcome to On The Step, Gary James Knight from Icon Aircraft all the way uh, over in the States, Austin, Texas. How are you going, Gary? It's going great, Daniel. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to have you on the show, bro. Uh, this is going to be a fun chat, I reckon. I've already had a chat to Janessa way back at the start of the um, the podcast. I think it was episode five or something. Um, but it's been a long time since I've spoke some Icon flying, which... I'm pretty excited to hear and hear another perspective of someone else in the industry uh, selling these aircraft. So, mate, I'm all strapped in and ready to hear some pretty epic stories. 
Yeah, well, I'll do my best not to disappoint, but uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, at the end, it, in order to in order to fly, you kind of have to be a bit of a nerd. Uh, so yeah. you know, we're all, I I don't you know I, as much as my Instagram looks like I'm a cool person, and it comes when it comes down to it, I geek out about airplanes just like everybody else. Yeah. And I was going to say, in order to be a salesman, you've got to be, be a bit of a BS artist, don't you? Yeah, you um, do. There's there's that aspect for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so these stories are going to be great. I'm looking, really looking forward to it. Um, but as usual, mate, you, you, I think you're a, a fan of the podcast as well, and and you um, know how this works. I want to I want to dive back to the start of uh, your career because looking through um, your LinkedIn account, I can see that aviation wasn't really your kind of real background that that got you to this job so can you kind of tell us about you know how you became where you are today yeah um a lot of it was well first kudos to your research um you know it's <laughs> it's uh it is it is really cool to be on the on this podcast because there's it's it's seaplane flying is something that very very few pilots do so i i really appreciate the content that is kind of catered towards something that you know is specific club within aviation kind of gets it you know um so yeah. you know my background i i started I, i'm a first generation pilot uh my both my parents are in the medical industry um and and my dad had every every reason to want me to kind of follow in his footsteps he's a he's a physical therapist and uh, and uh, he's also a chiropractor and at the time uh, when he started his career you had to hang your um, you had to hang your practice under a doctor's office in order to run a physical therapy practice. And so he got his chiropractic degree, built a practice. And, you know, his dream was, of course, to, um, ha- you know, keep that in the family. And, and I, I, you know, reluctantly crushed his dreams. But he uh, he also uh, believed in in my dreams as well, and you know both my parents were very. Uh, uh, my mom's a, came from Puerto Rico, and they very much believed in education. I was a terrible student, um, <laughs> but I loved airplanes. It was the one thing that I always had my attention. Even you know I I played sports all the way through college, and uh, it didn't matter what I was doing, what I was playing. If, if there was an airplane flying overhead, I was looking, looking at it, trying to figure out what it was. So, uh, that got me to Embry Riddle, uh, and a big aviation school in the U S and, yeah. and, and online worldwide as well. And when I finished at Embry Riddle, it was 2010, which was a terrible time in the job market. My, yes. I had two, two, two flight instructors go to the majors from there, and I remember them telling me uh, their interview process and how brutal it was. And I also remember them telling me how little they were making in the regionals. And that was not only intimidating, uh, it was very unfamiliar. And looking at the life that they were living, I, I, became very unattracted to the idea of flying uh, for an airline. And I'm not saying that it's a bad career field. I'm just saying that I, I, w- I realized early on that it wasn't for me, but I had already put all this energy into making moves towards that. So I ended up in this place where I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I liked airplanes. And that was, that was you know, my entire life. Up and yeah. you know all the way through college, I I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I knew I liked airplanes, so I ended up 
getting working for a charter company. That charter company went under and I got my real estate license because I, and like I always recommend if, if it's, I don't know how a uh, real estate license works in, in necessarily in Australia, but I can tell you in the States, if you can pass your written exam to get your pilot license, it, it's that exact degree of difficulty to get your real estate license. So I encourage anybody that is looking kind of for another opportunity or something else to add to their resume. If you're a pilot already, getting your real estate license is going to be one of the easiest things to do. I ended up doing that. And over a period of about five years, I started selling real estate. And suddenly I had this sales background and I had this aviation background. And I was at a home inspection one day and the the guy that was inspecting the house for my client was also a pilot. So what do we do? We start talking about airplanes. <laughs> you know, there there goes work. Yeah, no, there no goes half a day of work, right? <laughs> and uh, and he tells me that Icon is in Tampa, Florida, and hiring. And he told me they were looking for flight instructors. I'm not a CFI, so I I was not interested in in doing that. But I was curious enough to go on the website. I noticed that they had a sales position open. And I started looking at all the requirements and I said, these are things that I do every day, basically in my sleep. So yeah. I applied, I interviewed, I didn't know anybody at the company. Um, and they, they gave, and I honestly, I wasn't certain that I wanted to work there because I had something that I was building for myself. And it came down to the people that were there. It was, it was a great group of people. You've already, like you said, you already spoke with Janessa and she's actually since moved on. She's, uh, in the, going for the regionals now so and, okay, wow. and yeah she went over into the airline world and and obviously wish her nothing but success she was a huge asset to us and and i think a lot of there are a lot of people who know about us because of her and that's that can't be yeah. understated either but you know uh, between meeting the people and kind of the the company culture i realized you know real estate isn't going anywhere this might be an opportunity that i i might never get the chance to do again so that was going on four years ago now, and it's been a wild ride since. Just stepping back there a little bit, when did your um, Embry-Riddle uh, start of your career there, or I guess a training, did you actually fully complete the commercial license syllabus, um, and did you walk out of that with that uh, license in hand? No, I actually stopped at the end of my instrument rating. Uh, it okay. was, it was, I did did my private pilot before I got to Embry-Riddle, started at Embry-Riddle, did my instrument pilot license. And then I really, I, that was about around the time that I realized I wasn't going to go to, into the, I wasn't going to make airlines, uh, airline pilot a career path. And financially doing your training at Embry-Riddle didn't make sense uh, if you're not going to the airlines. Yeah. Because you're going to spend twice as much money. And, and now they have a phenomenal product. Their training is phenomenal. This is not a hit on their training, but it was it was definitely not the not going to make financial sense for me to stick with their training program, knowing that I was not going to the airlines. That that just didn't offer that type of. I guess they probably had that stigma, didn't they? That they were they were the airline kind of school, weren't they? That it, pushed you down that route. Exactly, and it, it it's also not practical because they don't really know what to do with you if that's not you. You know, <laughs> so and and their training is is phenomenal. It was some of the best uh, flight training I've ever received. It's, it, you know, looking back at that, 
it is surprising to me the quality of instructors that they were able to produce um, in such a short amount of time. So, you know, big, big respect to their program. But yeah, it's funny. Actually, I was on on YouTube the other day trying to find a video about a, a geared engine. Just, mm-hmm. just trying to find some some videos on some geared piston engines and um, some videos from Embry-Riddle came up about like just basic how the how the basic piston engine works type thing and they were from Embry-Riddle and I was like these videos are epic like they were so well edited and um, it, it's, the stuff was the content was great yeah it, it's really I mean it, it should be I mean you, you you spend more you can spend more money there than anywhere else in the world yeah. <laughs> for aviation education so it's it shouldn't be a surprise that it's top notch but it's also it's it's very gratifying that they deliver on it yeah. uh, uh, when I I did eventually get my commercial license but I didn't I just didn't do it through Embry Riddle and I do remember when I was studying for my commercial license I found the Embry Riddle aviation channel and I was just watching their all their videos over and over and over again until I could basically, uh, you know, repeat it verbatim. And you know, all of those th- items ended up coming up on my check ride. So, um, again, you, you know, can't knock the product. No, shout out to every riddle. Yeah. Um, maybe they've got Steven Spielberg on the on the video creations, mate. That's <laughs> right. Top well, notch. And I, and I will say. Uh, you know, my my personally, my experience at Embry Riddle wasn't phenomenal but that's not so much a, a hit on the school it was it was just, it was definitely a hit on on me i didn't know how to leverage the environment while i was there i definitely didn't yep. make as many connections while i was there as i could have or should have and when i graduated into a downturn into the economy that translated you know i i've definitely felt a lot of uh you know a lot of helplessness when i went out there and it, and at first it was a little bit of resentment because you know I went to this great aviation school but I couldn't find a je- good job in aviation but that was definitely on me I could and and I you know if anybody's at Embry-Riddle and listening to this podcast I tell you you're already paying a lot for school get the most you can out of it you're gonna you're in an environment right now where you can make some of the best connections in the business that you will ever be able to make in your entire life and you're crazy if you're not taking advantage of it so you said you got your commercial then as well. Um, was that to try and get this job at Icon or was this something you'd done in the past just to kind of tick that box? Well, I always knew that I wanted my commercial license and, and when I started working at Icon Aircraft, they eventually did want me to start doing demos um, and having the commercial license is, is a checkbox that they want you to have. So they, they gave me a, a little time off and I went off, out and got it. I already had the hours that I needed to do it anyway. So it wasn't, yep. it was just a matter of studying and getting it done. It's interesting like to think, like so Icon, was that position that you got originally at Icon uh, for a flying position? Because it just it's so funny to think like a company now that is so well recognized as Icon would put on someone who hasn't even finished commercial yet, if you know what I mean. Oh, 100%. Well, most aviation manufacturers separate their sales from their flying. Um, So Icon is the exception to the rule is or is one of the exceptions to the rules where most of the people, all of the people who sell have um, also have uh, their their license as well. And they fly and do demos. The reason for that is because it's 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 a very 
in order to be a very good pilot, you're not necessarily going to be a very good salesman. And in order to be a very good salesman, you're not necessarily going to be a very good pilot. Um, and, and, you know, I, I speak that to myself. I would rather be a, you know, because I want to be good at what I do and I get evaluated on how many airplanes I sell, you know, I, I do have to eat the humble pie and say, listen, it's not going to be hard to find somebody that's better at flying than me. That doesn't mean that I just throw that responsibility of being a good pilot out the window and making certain that I'm on my P's and Q's and, and, and sharpening my skill set. But it does mean that, you know, I can be as great as a pilot as I want to be. That doesn't necessarily make me good at what Icon's paying me to do. So flying has to take a back seat to to my professional development. And that's yeah. why you don't see the people who sell CJs or the people that sell the Phenom, you know, 100 and 300. They're not necessarily pilots. They're professionals first. And it's worth it for the company to hire a pilot to do the demonstration flight when it gets to that point in the sales process. Uh, now we don't sell a $3 million jet, so we don't have a, a, the margins to hire pilots strictly just to do demos. So yeah. you have to leverage and, and that's, that's the balancing act of the, the business development side of, of a company like this, where you have to, in a sense, find unicorns who, do have their license, are qualified, and then also have the, you know, in a sense, business acumen to be able to go out and find and develop new business. It's interesting you, you spoke about then about how your job is evaluated by how many aircraft you sell. I imagine like a car salesman, for example, um, because of the volume of sales that a, a car salesman would you know, make, mm-hmm. it gives you that kind of broader range of statistics or that you know, whether he sells 300 cars a month versus, and then the next month he has 400 like that, that's that's a lot of stock to sell. And, and the numbers could vary, say, by 30 or 40, mm-hmm. but it's but it's not really that different overall, if you know, the, the whole percentage of sales is not that much different. Right. Whereas, what's it like as an aircraft salesman? Because you potentially are only selling one, two aircraft, I don't know. You tell me, but a very small number of aircraft per month or per year, relatively. But you know, if you were to sell one a month, you might be the top salesman of the year. But you might, if you if you sell zero, you you might get fired. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm sure it's not that, that that bad. But but that's only the difference between one aircraft. So how does that all work? And you can explain a little bit more about that. Absolutely, and and to to your your numbers were basically spot on you're you are a rock star if you're selling an airplane a month uh yeah okay. and, yeah and what about my it, car sale numbers well, do I get yeah, probably I, mean, I have a i have a friend that that is uh he works for toyota and he's the number you know somewhere between 15 and 20 of the top salesmen in the country um, wow. for what he does and and he'll he'll push i think he pushes a car a day so he'll be at 30 a month okay so, wow that's incredible yeah. Um, but it, yeah, the, everybody needs a car, you know, everybody needs yeah. a house, which, you know, to relate it to my real estate experience. Um, it, nobody needs an airplane let, because, because Delta exists, nobody needs an airplane, let alone an airplane that is built for fun. Right. You're not, you're not selling me an airplane. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, and, and I, and I don't want to, a lot of people have this perception of sales where the salesman is there to try to convince you to do something that you don't want to do. 
And that is, I, I, I approach sales very much the opposite way. If I, I believe that as a pro, if I'm looking at a prospect, you either want to do this or you don't want to do this. You might not know, but as a professional, it's my job to help make that clear to you. And it's also my job to not be offended if the answer is you don't want to do this. I'm going to be okay yeah. with that. Now, if the answer is you do want to do this, then the question is how, you know, how is this going to make sense for you? Um, and, and in specifically with the A5, it is not a practical airplane. It is an airplane that it doesn't carry very much. It doesn't go very far and it doesn't fly very fast. However, it's the most fun I've ever had flying anything full stop period. <laughs> like, so not everybody is going to give themselves permission to do something like that. You know, it's just like not everybody wants to buy a Ferrari or nobody. Everybody wants to buy a Corvette. Not everybody wants to buy a, a Porsche, you know, but if you walk into, um, if you walk into a Lamborghini dealership and you start asking questions like, well, how many groceries can fit in the trunk here? Yeah. It's, it's not the car for you. And the salesman is not going to care either, <laughs> you know, and, and, and likewise with the A5, you know, I'll be the first to admit this is, if somebody comes to me and says, Hey, I saw your airplane, you know, you know, I like X, Y, and Z about it. I want to know if I can fly it from, you know, the, the East coast of Florida to the West coast of Florida. I say you can, but this is the worst airplane in the world to do that. with. And this is not the A to B airplane. It's the A to A airplane. It's the airplane that's going to be great for exploring the environment where you already live in a way that you've never explored before. Um, it's going to be, if, if you're as passionate about aviation as I am, this is a great airplane to fly your friends around in, um, because maybe you already have a Cirrus or maybe you already have a Bonanza and you don't want to, um, you don't want to go through the hassle of taking something up that's going to burn, you know, 15 gallons an hour, maybe something that's four gallons an hour and you can fly 500 feet over the water and show them where they've live their whole life in a way that they've never experienced before. Um, I've had two friends fly this airplane that didn't care about aviation at all, that they get, they get out of this airplane, they go and they sign up for flight school and they've got their license now. So it's a phenomenal tool to introduce people to aviation with. Um, it, it is great because, it, and some, this, what I, one thing I love about seaplane flying is you're taking an aviation product and you put it in a non-aviation environment. You know, like when you put the mallard in front of like a beach setting and people are going, whoa, holy crap, an a, a airplane just landed on the beach. You, you made their day. And, yeah. and you get to do that. It, it's something that's very, very unique to seaplane flying. Bush flying kind of does it too, but only only thing is like bush flying, you're kind of getting away from people. Seaplane flying, you, you do get closer to people more often than not, at least in the, the type of flying that I do. So I'd say, you know, relating it back to sales, most people look at airplanes and they say, they say to themselves, this is a tool for travel. And with the A5, is it's a very distinct departure from that where you're now saying, this is a tool to experience the world in a way that I never thought possible. And also, it's a flying boat load of fun. And and I guess that's, I kind of grabbed that, haven't they? And they've, they've really pushed it even further by making an aircraft that you fit on a trailer for your car because the idea is not 
that you need to go down to the airport and, like you said, fly from A to B and cover this huge distance uh, to get somewhere. It's being able to take it home and on the weekend you can you know, hook it up to your SUV and, and take it down to the local boat ramp and put it in there to, just like you would a boat because mm-hmm. you're not looking at going far. You're just looking at having fun. That is exactly it. And, and it, it takes something special for someone to give themselves permission to be able to do that. And it's not my job to write that permission slip. You know, it's, it's, it's more so my job to help people uh, once they've decided that they want to do something a little bit different, because especially if you're not a pilot, um, you know, one in four of my customers are not pilots and we connect them with a flight instructor and either they get their license before they take delivery or they get their license in their own airplane. And, you know, interesting, interestingly enough, those people end up being uh, around 55 to 65. They just sold their business or their kids are gone to college or graduated from college and they're going through some sort of life change and they have this time to do something that they've always wanted to do. And for a lot of those people, it's they want to get their license and they take one look at a 172 and they take one look at an A5 and they go, well, I want to do it in the A5. That looks like (laughs) a lot more fun and they're right. So then it, it's our responsibility to also be examples to those people. Um, when I'm taking up a, somebody on a demo flight, that's never flown a small plane before. Um, you better believe I'm setting the expectation of use your checklists every time, all the time. Don't make guesses, know exactly where your personal limitations are, know exactly where the airplane's limitations are. Um, to make certain that they have an example of the right mindset. And that's a lot of that stuff starts outside of the plane as well. Um, because I kind of look at this product a lot like, um, motorcycles, you know, people are gonna, people are, you know, people build motorcycles, people buy motorcycles, people make good decisions on motorcycles, people make bad decisions on motorcycles. And, you know, the, the history of icon is, is no secret and, you know, it's it's one of those kind of elephants in the rooms that you should acknowledge. And I think that by acknowledging it, you you are helping people to think in a way that is going to encourage them to make good decisions. One of the things you have to, I imagine, as a, as a big company, you have to factor in is that demonstration flight, don't you? Um, and I imagine that has to be covered down the track with the sales price. How do you judge someone whether they're, uh, this is the type of person you need to do a demonstration flight. I ma- like I imagine, let's say this podcast was a lot more popular than what it was, and it was <laughs> going to thousands and thousands of people in America, and uh, they were all just be like, "Let's go see Gary in Austin, and let's get in, let's go get a free flight and an icon." Is there a way of kind of determining whether the customer is someone who's almost worthwhile for a demonstration flight, or do you just have to kind of? Uh, um, accept that as something that is one of the costs for trying to sell this aircraft yeah um it's it's definitely a balance to make a metaphor out of it it's a sword you're always sharpening um you're you're never no one has a crystal ball on who is going to buy this airplane um and who's not a legitimate prospect but the 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 reality is when somebody wants something they tend to do it you know this is if if you want to learn a new skill, you're going to do it you, or or you're just going to imagine in your mind that you it, it's it's like, um, you know, people that always make the the res, the New Year's resolution of they're going to get in the gym. 
right? Yeah. At, at some point, you actually have to do it. You can't just sit at home and read about push-ups. You know, you actually have to go and get in the gym at some point, and you have to do it. And part of that process is signing up. Signing up, you actually have to pull out your credit card and you know sign up for the gym. What I notice is that people that want to buy are much less interested in the demo flight. What they're more interested in is the bridge between imagination and reality. So they go on our YouTube channel and they see all these, you know, hype videos about, you know, the A5 flying in the Bahamas and, and, you know, landing on the water, going out of a boat ramp, you know, being moved on a trailer and their imagination just goes nuts. And they don't, they, they're struggling to figure out, okay, I see this. I want this now. How do I get this? They're not thinking, the last thing they're thinking about is the demo flight. What they're actually thinking about is how do I do this where I'm at? How do I make this a reality in my world, in the environment I've built for myself? So their, their questions to me usually end up being things like, who's going to maintain it if I buy it? Uh, where am I going to keep it if I buy it? Another one is what are my friends and family going to think if I do this? <laughs> Yeah, and, the coolest ever. Exactly. Well, that's what they hope, but they're trying yeah. to get some sort of affirmation out of me sometimes for that as well. So the 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 questions usually are centered around how to uh, you know to to put it into one sentence is how do I take this thing that I'm imagining in my mind and make it a reality, and that's where you know my job is to find out well how you know where is your imagination at exactly. And yep. can the product deliver on your imagination? Um, because you know, I've I've got, a, I haven't totaled my hours in this airplane in over a year, but I've got to be coming up on 400 to 500 hours in this airplane now. And one one of the things that's really incredible about it to me is I don't have quite the shiny object syndrome with it like I have with just about everything else in my life. Like I, you know, I, I was very into playing guitar for a time and that's weighing down. Um, I've, I've, I'm the kind of person that picks up hobbies and drops them pretty quick. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, uh, interestingly enough with this airplane, I enjoy it more and more and more and more, the more I fly it and the more I continue to sharpen the skill sets behind it. Um, it, yeah. I don't, it's not like, I, I, there's a story I've, I've told probably half a dozen times on different podcasts. So I, I hate to tell it again, but, uh, when I was maybe seven or eight years old, I had a neighbor and he worked for pizza hut. And of course I'm eight and I'm thinking you work at a pizza place. That's the coolest job ever. I want to be you when I grow up. And so I say, how do you like working at pizza hut? And he goes, I hate it. And I'm like, how can you hate the best job ever. Like you get as much pizza as you want and you get paid. This is, this is, this is the dream, sir. And he goes, well, you get tired of pizza after a while. And that, that realization was something that crushed my tiny little seven year old world uh, that yeah. you can get sick of something that you like. But I haven't, you know, it, with hundreds of hours and thousands of water landings in this thing, I, I enjoy it so much. I, I get in the plane and I have more fun than I had the time before. 
and it's something that's really I feel very unique to this product. Another thing I want to talk about, you kind of mentioned there, like money and price, I guess, or well, not so much the price, but I think it's no secret that the the icon is certainly up there in in price relative to some of the other uh, light sport two or four seat amphibians that you can get on the market, and a lot of them are second hand. For example, I mean, you know, people who follow me would would see that I've recently helped out um, a friend of mine get in uh, get a Lake Buccaneer, and you know, the price of a Lake Buccaneer, for example, relative to the icon, is like probably a a third or depending on what you know what the quality is that you're getting but with that comes you know you're you're targeting a different market I guess in a way and with that I've seen on some of your posts and through social media that you are kind of going to some events for that kind of upper echelon of 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 money makers I guess Um, and those events sometimes are involved with some car companies like Lamborghini or Ferrari Um, you must have some pretty cool experiences where you're kind of combining this aircraft into those type of markets for car owners as well. Yeah. So, um, that's that I definitely do show up to a lot of car events. Um, the, the reason being isn't so much for, um, the finance, the, the finance aspect of it. The, the reason for me is, is actually because I'm a car guy. I'm I I love cars <laughs> like I love airplanes. So I like there's I get giddy about the idea of showing up to a car show with an airplane and then getting more attention than all the car guys that are yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> so there's um I mean I I would be lying if I said that it wasn't you know eighty percent ego um yeah. the, the the reason that I show up to these car events. Um, I, I do, you know, I can, if I go to a car event, it's, it's very rare that I see a car that I don't know what it is or what year it was built or something like that. I'm, I'm an absolute car nerd as much as I am an airplane nerd. Um, so, and the, but the reason that I'll go is because, I mean, yes, there is the, the financial qualification, like you do have to be able to afford this plane to be able to buy it, but a lot, you know, this, and it's, it's relatively, you're correct. You're, you're spot on that you know, relative to a lot of the other airplanes that are available on the market, uh, the, the a five is significant is priced significantly higher. Um, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll circle back to the, the, the pricing in a moment, but the reason that I show up to these car shows is because it's something else that I'm passionate about. It's that I'm able to bring something that I'm one thing that I'm passionate about into an environment that I'm also passionate about. If it was golf, I would show up to golf tournaments. If it was, well, you, you it, did the other day, didn't you? I yeah, yeah that. That's <laughs> but that was a, that was more so on accident. That was just pure <laughs> serendipity. I mean, I knew that the golf tournament was going on. I had no idea they were going to put us on TV, let alone, let alone have some sort of idea of what it was. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so that was, that was fun. Was, I never thought I'd be on ESPN flying an airplane. <laughs> So. I uh, we were just talking off air that you know I love golf as well and mm-hmm. a couple of years ago I would have been up most mornings uh, if I wasn't working kind of watching the golf and I would have been super excited man if if I had been watching the golf and then 
I see the icon and there's there's you sitting on the wing, yeah. <laughs> uh, shut down, just talking to to a customer potentially or or a friend or something. Yeah. Um, just being like, "There's Gary. Gary's on TV." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, made, made, made me more off. excited about the golf. That was exactly how I found out I was on TV because people started texting me and say, "Hey, Gary's on, you're on TV." I'm like, "No way! Shut up." <laughs> um, it was, it was not what I was expecting. And that was probably the best part of it. You know, at least the, the, the experiences that you, you have with this airplane are, are things, things that you don't expect. Um, you know, when I, when I took the, the, the airplane to a restaurant in Austin a couple weeks ago, um, and that, that the guy that I flew is another car guy and he actually race, he does a lot of race cars. And, you know, they, the, if you talk to professional race car drivers, there's only a couple cars that are really worth considering for, to buy on a track. And almost none of them will tell you Ferrari. Um, but Ferrari yeah. has a massive brand in luxury performance cars. And how do they do that? It's because the, they're not so much focused on the professional. They're focused on the person that's passionate. And it's the, it is, it, it, there's a, a, a very big equivalent to that in our market. Now the, the, the pricing to, to be clear, it, it, the airplane's expensive because it's expensive to build. There's almost $200,000 just in carbon fiber on this airplane. Um, wow. it is, it is not cheap by any standard to build. Um, and it wasn't cheap to engineer it either. Um, and it wasn't, a lot of the 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 maintenance, it, the maintenance itself is not expensive. It's a Rotax 912 IS. It's very common motor. Um, there's not much to the airplane for it to break, um, but we require a 40-hour inspection uh, because we don't want the, the the inverse of that is to have, you know, an inspection that isn't uh, isn't enough to look at the airplane in, at a in-depth scale, and you know, with, with something like, uh, you know, for, I, I think, you know, the luxury car brands kind of, uh, understand if, if you buy a luxury car, you, you understand your oil change is not going to be, you know, a hundred dollars anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you, you understand. And, and the reason is because you're getting, you're, you're going to be getting a service that's going to make certain that it's, you're not just changing your oil, that, you're changing your oil and the person that is doing it is qualified to not screw up your car and that um, you're, you're, you're going to get this uh, in effect. Uh, you know, I don't want to say white glove service uh, because that would be, you know, setting the bar in a place that, it, that it's not, but I would say it's a, uh, uh, you, you are, this airplane is for recreation. It would be a shame if you didn't take care of it in a way that you could enjoy it when you want to enjoy it. So the, the cost does come from how expensive it is to build. Um, there just in, in raw materials alone, the, the price would, the, the, the price is substantial to build this aircraft. Um, but the, what it, what it translates to is an airplane that, um, flies as good as it looks. You know, a lot of a lot of airplanes, and and the A5 is no exception. A lot of airplanes have their idiosyncrasies, um, like the the engine being so high up on the on the Lake Renegade, you have this torque moment as you as you add power that you have to yeah. be uh, mindful of. And you know, because you're a professional, and 
and you you learn to manage that airplane and respect the airplane and give the, give the airplane the respect that it's due. The A5, um, I, I can go zero to full power on it, and the nose doesn't go down on me at all. And a lot of that has to do with the the, the engine being so close to the center of gravity on the airplane, um, and that is because the engineers decided they wanted to design something that was as intuitive as an airplane could be to fly and they knocked it out of the park it is um it is the most manageable airplane that i've ever been in um you the as you put control inputs into it it does it does what you think it's going to do and the more uh, and it kind of has this pushback factor on it too. So, because it has a uh, push rods instead of control cables all the way out, um, where the more, uh, the more control input you put, put in, the more the airplane will put kind of gently push back as well. So you have this tactile feedback as you're flying this airplane. Um, you, you never feel like the airplane's flying you. You always feel like you're flying the airplane. And that comes from more of a, a perspective where we didn't want to build an airplane that meets all of these points on paper that say we want it to go this fast and carry this much and be able to go this far plus land on the water. But we said we want it to fly in a way where you imagined flying would be like. Because I remember when I took my first flight lesson in a 172 and I had been in an airplane maybe half a dozen small airplane and maybe about a half a dozen times before. And I never actually put my hands on the yoke. And here we are. We take, I take off with my flight instructor and five minutes later he goes, okay, I just did a power on stall. Now you're going to do it. And I said, okay. And I had no idea what I was doing, why I was doing it. And it was nothing like I imagined flying was going to be. And I did it because it was the part of the natural progression of you getting your license but uh, at the same time, it was a little bit of a letdown because it was, I didn't realize it was going to be that hard and that's okay. You know, like, you know, we, we all, we all go through it. We all, we, you know, especially being a first generation pilot, I had no idea what to expect and being thrust into this education environment with no perspective on what I was doing or why I was doing it or, or how difficult it was going to be. It was a very, very big departure on what I thought flying, learning to fly was going to be like. And I didn't know what I thought flying was going to be like until I started flying the A5. And I and I'm sitting there one day, you know, just cruising, you know, 75 knots, slow as can be, 500 feet off the lake, watching the boaters go by. I got my elbow hanging out the window and I'm saying, this is exactly what I thought flying was going to be like. That's what seaplanes do to you though, don't they? Like, mm-hmm. as, you, as you mentioned at the start of the show there, like bush flying has a bit of it, but you're going away from the people and away from, which a lot of people love obviously, but you take these planes into these environments that, that are enjoyed by everyone. It's It's the beach that everyone's coming out to because they love the beach. It's, it's the lake that they're going fishing on or skiing on. It's it's these environments where we get to then come in and, and land on the water and, and access with aviation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a beautiful part of, of, of aviation like you mentioned at the start there. It's so fun because you're seeing people that could not care less about airplanes get excited about something that we do. Um, yeah. And I, I think with the, the ESPN thing is probably a great example because if you listen to the clip, it's very clear that maybe one of them heard something about the A5 at one point years ago 
<laughs> but didn't really know what, what he was talking about, nor should he, <laughs> um, yeah. because he's a golf commentator, right? Uh, but the fact that he saw the plane and got ex- as excited as he did, um, that tells me that, that we've done something right. You know, Elon Musk said it's very difficult to, to build something that people instantly love. And being a part of a company that's doing that, it's meaningful to me. And, yeah. and to circle back on price, when one, one of the things that I find most interesting, I've, I've, I've been doing, the only reason I made it as a real estate agent was because I got very good at marketing. And usually when you see a, a supply and demand curve, the, the higher the price, the lower the demand and the lower the supply. When you, you look at the numbers on, in the markets that we sell, which we're just getting into the international market very soon here, probably in the in the summertime, we're going to announce our our type certificate being issued for the primary category aircraft, um, which is, in fact, the same as the light sport airplane that we built. And so, you know, part for part, it's going to be the same exact same exact airplane, but it'll be a part 21 type certificate for the airplane. Yeah. But when you when you look in the markets that we do compete with, we are by far the number one light sport amphibious aircraft uh, in terms of sales, even at almost twice the price of our closest competitor. Um, yeah, so it's it's crazy. It, yeah, it is. It's wild. It, it tells you something about the product. It, you know, I wish everybody could fly this thing because they they understand. Uh, you know, I, I can't fly everybody. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Jack Brown's I think is booked through the summer with seaplane ratings on this thing at more than twice the price of getting the seaplane rating in the cub. So, you know, it, it tells you that there's something there. There's something special about this airplane that people to include me can't quite put their thumb on. Um, but we're figuring it out, you know, uh, also yeah. at the same time, even though we might be number one in our category, we're nowhere near where we want to be. There's a lot of work to be done. Um, but I, I'm honored. I get to be part of the, part of the crew that does the work. Yeah. And you mentioned like, it's, it's funny that it's named the icon because it is becoming a bit of an icon. Isn't <laughs> it? I mean, of, I mean, of, of, of seaplanes around, you know, of, of the picture of a seaplane. I mean, I'm just looking at your Facebook page for Icon Aircraft, mm-hmm. and it is staggering that 1.1 million likes yeah. for, uh, I mean, I'm just going to quickly look up, like, let's look up Cessna. Here we go, Cessna here, um, 236,000 likes mm-hmm. um, for Cessna versus Icon Aircraft, 1.1 million. Like, to me, that is just, it's it's taken off, hasn't it? It's become this kind of, social media character almost in itself that has just become so popular through as you mentioned before like the adventures that you can do with this airplane and just the adventures we can have with seaplanes in general so it's just it is becoming the icon as as i mentioned yeah and and part of it is that it's it is as good looking as it is like it there is there is no question there's some sex appeal to this airplane Uh, but the other part is definitely the the capabilities that it actually does deliver on the on the experience you know yeah. the it's all actually practical elements like we did the the swansons instead of pontoons um it, it's so nice to be able to be on step and not have to worry about digging a pontoon into the water yeah 
it's relaxing. Um, and then, uh, if I, you know, if I shut the airplane down, I'm on the water, I now have a small platform to actually step out onto and stand up and stretch or jump in the water. And I have an, I have a way to actually get back into the airplane. That's, you know, relatively easy if you don't have some sort of platform right on the water level. Um, so, yeah. you know, all of these, as, as good as it looks, you know, all these things do become practical, even, even the, the folding wing, you know, there's a, there's a story that I tell that I heard an owner tell last week where I flew into an airport, very, very busy airport in Dallas, unannou- completely unannounced. And I, I got there late. It was maybe nine, 10 o'clock at night. And I said, Hey, I actually need this in the hangar tonight. And they said, we are, we're full. And I said, hold on. And I folded the wings. I said, this thing is eight feet wide. I promise you I can fit it somewhere that you can't sell. And I heard, uh, I heard another owner use that exact line. You know, we can put this airplane in places that in square footage that FBOs typically can't even sell if they wanted to. So yeah. there's, there are a lot of, you know, the, the trailer is, is most practical actually for when you go on vacation. So I'm going to be going to Minnesota as soon as it thaws up here. That's part of my sales territory, but I'm not going to fly the airplane there. I'm going to trailer it. It's going to do a couple things. It's going to save me hours on the airplane, you know, because we're not going that fast. You know, it would take me probably, I imagine, 10 hours to fly up there from here. And what, it's a six-hour drive? <laughs> no, it's, a, it's about a 16-hour <laughs> drive. But it would, you know, I, you know, same, you know, might as well be. You know, yeah. <laughs> it might as well be longer that, you know, even if it didn't save time, it might as well be longer. But, hey, I'm, I'm going to get 20, 20 hours back on the airframe. Not only that, I get to travel with uh, a SUV that I can carry a bunch more stuff in the SUV than I can in the airplane. When I get there, I'm going to have a car with me, so I don't have to worry about a rental car. I don't have to worry about any of that. And if I wanted to go visit a friend's house or something like that, I've, I've got transportation. And most importantly, when I get there, I have another toy that is going to beat being on any boat in the water or, and even, even if it doesn't beat being on a boat in the water, the guy whose boat you want to be on is going to want you there anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just rock up in your, in your little boat and exactly. join his boat. And it, and it is, <laughs> and, and uh, it, I, it's not just about the icon um, because a lot of seaplanes um, have these capabilities, you know, in, in varying capacities, but it's so cool to see it all put together in one package and again, I'm happy to acknowledge that it, it, it is pricey, but it does not disappoint. And, and, you know, there's a guy yesterday that was giving me a hard time on the price. You gotta, you gotta have a little, little thick skin to work at icon too, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it was a guy that was giving me a little hard time on the price. And he said, I, I told him, I said, listen, you know, air, airplanes aren't cheap. A, a brand new Cessna 172 is $439,000. Yeah, that's ridiculous. It, yeah. Airplanes are just not cheap to build. Um, and and if you want to put that on floats, you, you know, add another add another six, you know, six figures to that. So the Beechcraft Baron mm-hmm. that's coming out, the, the the 58 model Baron that's coming out these days is like 1.3, 1.4 million dollars yep. mm-hmm. for a six seat uh, twin engine aircraft. Yeah, IFR, whatever. But um, that is that is huge dollars. Mm-hmm. It's wild. It is crazy yeah. how expensive it is to build airplanes. It is yeah. nuts. And, and and I wish it was cheaper because I would, you know, this is the first airplane that I've, or the first product I've ever sold 
that I am dead set on buying. I am, I'm yeah. going to buy one of these one day. Um, yeah. I don't, I, I still haven't figured out exactly how that's okay, but I'm going to figure it out. Maybe by that time, uh, you know, the used market will come down enough that it'll make sense for me. Um, or I, and by make sense, I mean, my wife wouldn't kill me for doing it, but, yeah. um, it, <laughs> you know, as, as much as a car guy as I am, there's no way that I'm buying, you know, uh, I'm a Porsche guy specifically. So, uh, there's no way I'm buying a Porsche 911 before I buy an Icon A5. There's no way yeah. it's not happening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, the, uh, you know, the way that it all comes together, the, the, the monohull nature is, is fantastic that the center of gravity is so low. You don't have to worry about, you know, turning into, um, turning downwind and worrying about being flipped over. Uh, the not, not having the pontoons is, is so nice when you're, when you're on the step and you don't have to worry about one, one of the sides digging in. It's, it's very balanced. The, uh, the stall characteristics are not a non event is the most benign thing in the world. When, when I do uh power on power off stalls with people, the typical reaction is that's it. Wow. Like that was boring. It's like, yes, <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> so, um, and by the way, Daniel, obviously open invitation. I, I don't know if you ever make your way over to the States, but um, you're more than welcome to come fly with me anytime over here in Austin. Thanks, Gary. Yeah, I'm, I'm planning a trip surely in the future soon once all these borders clear up and I can organize babysitters to, <laughs> to get some spare time off and come and meet everyone that I've been interviewing. And um, look, I'm not going to be honest, mate. I, I won't be able to afford that 20% deposit for this demo <laughs> flight, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'd love to get up there and, and have a burn. Mate, as you, as you probably know, I, I kind of like to the end these chats with uh, the Splash and Dash questionnaire, some mm-hmm. rapid seaplane fire um, questions. And I'm looking forward to hearing some of your answers. I mean, I know straight away that your favorite seaplane that you've flown is the Icon A5. We don't have to, we don't have to spend much time on that one. But I want to hear about where some, some cool stories about where you've taken this thing. Like, tell, me, tell us about where the best place you've ever been to land this, this aircraft on the water. Oh, yikes, man. That's a good one. I've got a, yikes. I've got a lot like of yikes. really, I've, I've got a lot of really good stories. Um, I, Tell us I, a few. I think, okay. So Louisiana was some, was a place that blew my mind. Uh, I, I never, I, I, my perception on Louisiana was, it was just a big swamp and I had a, a customer out there, a potential buyer out there. He owned a TBM and, and he wanted a fun airplane. And so he called us and I went out to him. He took me up this place called the Red River and it was 40 to 50 miles of sandbars and beautiful river flying with no, with no telephone wires, no, no civil, it was out in the middle of nowhere. And it was the, the infrastructure you couldn't have, you could not have asked for a more forgiving infrastructure than than the red river in louisiana so that i i i never thought that was going to happen in louisiana which is this you know little state that's known for mardi gras um uh, festival Uh, it's just east of texas then uh i would say in dallas was the first time that i that i really um expanded the envelope on what i thought i what i knew i could do with this airplane and i happened to be able to do it all in one day i picked up uh, a guy's name's will cutter in an air, airport east of the city, we flew to one lake, and while we were flying, my next demo canceled. So I said, "Hey, what are you doing the rest of the day?" There's some things I want to try because the weather was perfect. The winds were like five knots everywhere. 
It was consistent. No gusts. I could have taken this plane anywhere I wanted to and done whatever I wanted with it. And it was a weekday. So there were no boats out. Perfect. So, so he says, I got plenty of time. And so we went to a, a rest, uh, we went to a, a lake that had a restaurant that was next to a boat ramp that was wide enough for this airplane. Um, so we land on the lake, put the gear down in the water, go up the boat ramp. We get up the boat ramp, this guy that just wanted to be, you know, um, you know, Mr. Security officer for the boat ramp said, Hey, you can't park this plane here. And I said, give me a second. I folded the wings. I put the airplane in a parking spot. (laughs) And, (laughs) (laughs) And he said, he said, he very disgruntedly said, okay, but you're going to have to go get a parking pass. And we walked up, got a parking pass, went to the restaurant, we ate, you know, people are asking us questions the whole time. And then, um, go back to the plane, unfold the wings, start it up back in the water, gear up. We're buzzing around some of the, the lesser populated areas of the lake. We find a sandbar on the lake that I didn't even know about before park there. People were going by on boats asking us, what is it? What is it? What is it? And then we're getting ready to take off, and there's this group of boats tied together. It's about, I want to say, half a dozen 30-foot to 40-foot boats that are tied together. And I'm just taxiing around because this cove looks like a good place to go ahead and take off. And also, I kind of wanted to show off because, you know, they're, you know, they paid more for their boats than I paid for than the airplane <laughs> would cost. And we're getting all the attention. And this guy stands at the end of one of the boats and he holds out a line and asks if we want to tie off. I said, this is a day of first. We've been we've been doing pretty good. So let's let's try it. He, you know, a passenger was up for it and he was a pilot as well. So he was able to kind of you know, understand how to treat the airplane. Uh, we tied off to the boats and. And we hung around there for an hour, just meeting all sorts of people like, Hey, what do you do? And, and, you know, tell me how you, tell me how you made enough money to be able to afford this awesome boat. Um, cause that's kind of my favorite thing to do is like, just learn about people as I meet yeah. them. I don't, if, if I do a demo flight with somebody, I don't Google them. Um, cause I want to get to know who they are as a, as a person. And it's one of the best things that I've ever done because it's it's allowed me to build real relationships with people that I never would have had access to before. Um, yeah. And that's kind of a that's a very understated part of this product. Uh, I couldn't believe that, you know, after a year of working at Icon, I had uh, like half a dozen billionaires personal cell phones in my phone that if I called them, they'd say, hey, Gary, how are you? Like, that was very weird. Because I don't, yeah, no. I, I don't come from that world. So no, um, I guess that's where I was kind of going a little bit more with that question about the Lamborghini and Ferrari uh, yeah, yeah. top. You know, like just mingling with this this kind of society of people that um, that are very, yeah, their own people, aren't they? In a mm-hmm. way, but but they're super. Like I've I've met a few of the same people, and they're super nice people. They're just everyday uh, people, just like you and me. But they just have access to some some products that are. Uh, you know, or, or a world or a lifestyle that's just uh, not your everyday. Exactly. Yeah. And, and what I've, what I've found the most is they, you know, the best value that I can give them is to just treat them like I treat anybody else. Yeah. You know? So they're not offended if I call them 20 times and they don't answer. Most of the time, if I call somebody a lot before they actually engage me and have a conversation, the first thing out of their mouth is thank you. Thank you for not giving up. Thank you for not giving up on me. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's wild. So yeah, that, that Dallas trip was probably the coolest one because I did everything in this airplane in one day. 
Um, yep. you know, we hit the restaurant, we hit the sandbar, we did fishing, <laughs> we hung out with the boaters and then we went home and I said, that was, that was the craziest demo flight I've ever done. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, that, that parking in the park spot, man, that, that was the most boss story I think I've ever had on this <laughs> podcast. That was sick. <laughs> <laughs> he was so ready to kick us out. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. you, you should have just, you should have like put like, I don't know, 15 minutes of parking on the ticket and then right? just like waited for someone to come and book you and just like, where can I put this ticket for this plane? Exactly. It's like, <laughs> what are you going to, where's the VIN number yeah. exactly on yeah, it? Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Are you going to be in this job for a long time or do you think this is a, something that would kind of lead to other different jobs? Like, would you like to be an aircraft salesman for some other uh, aircraft coming out? I don't want to, kind of make it sound like you're uh, you're going to leave but um is this a, is this a forever type of job do you think i mean it, it's not really practical to work somewhere for 30 years anymore <laughs> um so i i know that there's an expiration date on this and and i've i've had to make my peace with that and i just try to enjoy it as as much as i can for as long as i can because it, it is a fun job it's a lot of work but the work is very gratifying you know this is this is a seven day a week job and i don't i don't want to do that forever uh, but i can do it right now so i'm just going to enjoy it as as long as i possibly can but if the day ever comes that i i don't enjoy it i'll i'll be happy to to relinquish it to someone else yeah and that's it's a bit of a passing the passing the bar on isn't it you know mm-hmm. all right i've i've enjoyed my job here and, okay you look after it too sir and exactly. you have fun don't crash doing the plane. What... <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> is there other dream seaplanes that you would like to get your hands on one day um i really actually i i enjoyed the, you know well you know before i came on the 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 show i was looking at the the gooey duck that you uh the the interview that you did prior to this because that was um the composite nature is very interesting to me. Um, I like the idea of bringing a, being able to bring more than one person with me when I'm flying. Um, yeah. And uh, but the 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 challenge is is always trying to find something that also scratches the fun factor as well. Um, it is it is you know a bigger plane is going to be harder to bring to a boat dock. You know so yeah. A lot of you know thinking to do right now is. There, there's always a trade-off, you know, trying to find something that you can carry, you know, more than, more than one extra person and still has the fun factor. And, and yeah. the, the, the gooey duck seems to, seems to check those boxes so far. This aircraft's pretty, uh, you know, it's probably the perfect airplane to take out on a Sunday afternoon or, or any day of the week, really, um, yep. or morning or afternoon, um, <laughs> whenever. Just take the bloody thing out and, and have fun. I've flown it uh, at night, too. <laughs> okay, there you go. Uh, we can tick that box as well. But what do you think would be the ideal seaplane to fly around the world in? Would it be the gooey duck? Maybe. I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not super familiar on the range. You know, like, I can't, can't remember yeah. what it is, but I think that it's pretty would, good from, from memory. Yeah. Yeah. I, but absolutely. I mean, it's, it's fast enough. You know, you can do more than 125 knots, which for me is kind of my, my bare minimum for cross country flying. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you carry a lot of people. It's the, it's, it, it is amphibious. I would, I would absolutely, the, the gooey duck would, it's not too big either. You know, you get an emergency situation because it's more for me, you know, when I think of like the practical side is not so much what the airplane can do. It's what can you do when things go wrong? What are your options when things don't aren't working out? And 
the bigger the airplane, the more of those considerations you, you have to make. And, and, you know, so the Gooey duck seems to be just big enough that it can, you know, I, I can bring people with me and you kind of, it's, it's more like a party bus, you know, I, I, I cannot, I could not imagine like what it would look like showing up to a sandbar and one of those things. And you like have a whole, you brought the party with you, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's kind of why I like it. There's, there's, it's not so big that, you know, I don't, I'm, you know, that it's, uh, annoying to get in and out of, I guess is like, that's kind of how I look at it. What about best looking and ugliest looking seaplanes? There's a couple of random questions for you. Ooh, I think well, I know what your best yeah, looking is. Yeah, best be. looking <laughs> A5. I'm the, the ugliest looking. Oh, was that um that uh it was early on the, the, it was the Italian uh I can't I can't remember the uh the manufacturer, but he basically took what looked like a river steamboat and put wings on it and tried to fly it <laughs> um i cannot remember what it was called but it was in a movie um that i that i'd watched and i said that is the most ridiculous to, thing i've ever seen in my life i'll have to look it up yeah i'm, I'm um, sure i can find it what about glass cockpit versus steam or versus icon because icon's a bit of a unique panel itself isn't it it's you speak about a car, like imagine if someone looked in the window of the Icon as it's parked in the car park, they could almost think that it would be a car, can't they? Like it's it's a very unique panel, I reckon. Yeah, so the and it was actually, we hired the Lotus engineering team to design, help us design the interior. And <laughs> yeah, and, and it's, that is one of the things that makes this product so attractive to non-pilots is they look inside and they go, I could do that. That can't be difficult. I can do that. So you have that instant familiarity when you look inside of this this airplane. For the type of flying that you do in this airplane, the glass cockpit isn't going to improve your flying because you have to be outside of this airplane when you're 300 to 500 feet off the ground. You can't afford to be making your decisions so you know primarily based on what a glass the information that you're going to glean from the glass cockpit. Um, so glass cockpit for this airplane, it, it's a, it's an interesting argument when I hear people bring that up because it's like, well, I know you're not a buyer because you're not even <laughs> actually thinking about flying this airplane. You just like the glass cockpit. And I did my instrument rating in a G 1000. I'm a fan of a glass cockpit. It's uh, it is necessary for aviation as a whole. But I think when you're talking about flying for the purpose of fun the glass cockpit is an irrelevant conversation i don't i'm not saying that it's useless but i'm saying that when you're in the clouds the the kind of information that you get off of a glass cockpit is um invaluable and and 100 necessary um but if you were to put me 300 feet off the ground vfr conditions and say, do you want a glass cockpit and nothing else, or do you want to be able to see outside and nothing else? I'll say, you know, take all the instruments away. I'll, I'll be looking outside. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Um, anything else, mate, you want to add to, uh, to our chat today and, and share any other stories that, um, that you'd like to share before we wrap this up? Um, 
What's uh, I, I'd like to know, I mean, what are, I, I know nothing about flying internationally. All of my flying has been in the States. So uh, I'd like to pick your brain a little bit. And, you know, what what's what's it is what are the differences that you know about in in terms of seaplane flying between the States and Australia? Oh, I think it's it's got a lot to do with um, the environment and the and the the actual terrain, I guess, that we're flying on. Like I always look at the two comparisons between Australia and America and say, like, you guys are just so lucky to have you know lake after lake after lake, um, and not just not just a lake to go and splash a seaplane on and not have to worry about washing it afterwards, but a lake that has a restaurant on it or a lake that has a boat ramp that you can bring the plane up in. Or you know three or four different lake systems that you know you can go fishing on. It's just what you guys have, you know, terrain-wise and and um, feature-wise in in America versus Australia. It's just yeah, it's it's incredible. I mean, there are some beautiful spots in Australia to fly seaplanes. Don't get me wrong, but a lot of our stuff is associated around the coast, um, where it's it's salt water, um, which you know talking about salt water is not going to be a, a huge issue with the icon being composite, but. Um, you know, for a lot of seaplane operators in Australia, it is saltwater only. Um, mm. So we've got those issues with corrosion, uh, and and there just isn't the volume of of seaplane operators in Australia to to bring up a a real uh, culture of seaplane flying in a way. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas I, I feel like in the states, there just with with the access you have to all of these locations, you can really create um, that that real environment and culture around seaplane flying. But then once again, it comes down to numbers, you know, like, what are we talking, 350 million or something like that in the States alone uh, yeah. versus like 20, 26 million or something in Australia. <laughs> like, uh, it's it's a smaller population um, and with, with less thing less places to kind of access in total, it does make it a bit harder. But, um, you know, one day, if, uh, you know, now that hopefully COVID's slowing things down a little bit and we can um, start to travel again like we were... Um, you know the invitation goes out to you as well, and we can hopefully we we'd like to see some more icons in Australia, I think, and I think they would be a a great little aircraft to be able to have to access some of these um, saltwater environments that we can you know avoid co- the corrosion issues with the salt water and and have you know a bit of fun with seaplane flying with composite aircraft. So uh, hopefully it's not too long until we start to see a few more icons in Australia. Yeah, I I happen to know there's more than a few people that are in line ready to go as soon as uh the type certificate is ready so um we are we are close and i i expect to see the same reaction or the response that we've had in the states domestically uh internationally once we once we have that ready to go yeah awesome that's great well gary it's been um it's been an awesome chat mate i've i've really enjoyed catching up and and hearing more about the sales type of thing uh and and hearing about the icon story and uh, it's it's been a great chat so I really like to thank you for coming on the step thanks for having me on it was great meeting you man and that's the show for today folks thanks so much to Gary for taking the time to share his incredible story man I hope it's not too long until we see some icons in Australia and I can check this machine out for myself they do seem like a hell of a lot of fun that's for sure Thanks again for tuning in, folks. It's always a pleasure sharing these stories. But until next time, thanks for coming on The Step.